So as mentioned, the, uh, the topic of the evening is uh, man's self-control. Um, and you might like to, uh, in fact, if you'd like, you might like to turn to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, I want to start off, I suppose, with a, a complimentary reading. Uh, and it includes uh, one of those uh, lists in Scripture. I, I love it when, uh, I don't know why, but I just love it when the, the biblical writers give us uh, lists and sort of, you know, if you get this, then you get this, then you get this. Uh, it is a thing that appeals to me. Uh, and within this list is self-control. So I thought it profitable for us to read today. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confess Firm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 25, verse 28, uh, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I think there could be... Um, some virtue in simply saying, uh, meditate upon those words for the next 20 minutes uh, and then we'll pray together. Um, but I do have just a few extra words written down for the preaching of this evening. Uh, but a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Uh, if you were to uh, Google, as I often do, um, what the meaning or the definition of self-control is, uh, the first hit that comes up from Google, which is actually taken from Oxford Languages, says the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, especially in difficult situations. I think that's actually a fairly uh, good, a fair definition of what it is to be self-controlled. Uh, and there appears from a, uh, a scroll through the, the links and such from related searches, there appears to be uh, a fair bit of praise for having self-controlled, uh, self-control out in the world. Folks generally agree that it is a good thing to have uh, and will even increase the likelihood of career success and such like as this. I did read uh, briefly one article called The Dark Side of Self-Control by the Harvard Business School, of course, um, which had some points that are worthy of rebuttal, but uh, we'll save that for another, another day perhaps. Uh, but as I uh, alluded to uh, a fortnight ago, I think it was when I preached the last message in the evening, uh, when I preached the message on, on speech, 
uh, which of course, uh, relatedly, uh, we need to have self-control in our speech. Uh, as I mentioned at that point, the challenge with self-control uh, is not what we do not feel temptation with, or well, not so much what we don't feel temptation with, but rather what we do feel temptation with and what we do in those moments of temptation. To pick an obvious example, uh, a fairly lightweight one, uh, consider chocolate, lollies, uh, food in general. Uh, you may be a person who feels little to no temptation to indulge in, in chocolate, lollies, whatever it is. That does not necessarily make you a self-controlled person. If that temptation is not there, your ability to, uh, to do away with uh, eating the chocolate does not necessarily make you a self-controlled individual. It may be you have little to no temptation to eat chocolate, uh, but you exhibit a distinct lack of self-control when it comes to things like uh, sleep patterns, watching YouTube, Netflix, Stan, whatever your, your streaming service of choice is. Uh, you may have little to no self-control over your temper with regards to constantly looking at your phone. The list goes uh, on and on and on. Uh, the deal with self-control is not so much what we can readily do away with, what doesn't really interest us very much, but what we do uh, with things that do tempt us, what we do in those moments. Uh, and hence that, uh, that Oxford, Oxford Dictionary definition, once again, uh, I think rings quite true, uh, whereby it says, the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, especially in difficult situations. Or perhaps we could say, uh, especially in moments of temptation. And so the point is that self-control, uh, in large part, exhibits itself in what you do in those moments of temptation rather than what you do when there is little to no temptation at all. So I have three points further to that that I want to reflect on uh, and they show, I think, the, the value that we ought to place upon self-control uh, and subsequently give uh, two or so further examples of the, the fruits of self-control, what it looks like to exercise self-control. And so the points are... Self-control is greater than worldly power and prestige. Self-control is greater than excess in earthly pleasures. And thirdly, self-control is greater than flippancy. You might like to turn to, to Proverbs 16, verse 32. So the first point, self-control is greater than worldly power and prestige. Uh, if I were to ask you, uh, right at the moment, how important is self-control to you? I wonder what the answer would be, and perhaps you can uh, think of that internally. How important is self-control to you? Uh, perhaps if you were to, to rate it on a scale just to make it more concrete, uh, of one is not important at all and ten is like the most important thing in the world, where would you place self-control? Proverbs 16.32 uh, says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I wonder what the people, uh, and I must admit as I, as I wrote this point, I became a little bit nervous knowing that we have the, uh, the history buff of Elijah within the congregation. So though I cite a, a, a figure from history, uh, I have left out any actual historical facts. 
Um, but I wonder what the people in Alexander the Great's day would have thought of this statement. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Uh, suppose such individuals in that day, and us by extension, uh, were to consider the great military success of Alexander and all his fame, but were then to consider a self-controlled Christian known only to his family and friends, whose name is completely absent and will be completely absent at that point of time from any history book or any encyclopedia. Who would be more endearing to us? This great ruler or this unknown nobody who happens to exhibit the characteristic of self-control? Which of these objectively is greater? Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city, says the Proverbs. And to make the, the latter part of the verse even more like for like, uh, a fair application would be to say that he who rules his spirit is better than he who rules a city, noting that one who takes a city may well rule it also. So he who rules his spirit is better than he who rules a city. And so I think we make a good case to say that the, the unknown self-controlled man is better in God's eyes or is more valuable in God's eyes than the mighty ruler or the world power or the great conqueror. We could very rightly say that better is he whose name is in the book of life than he who appears in every worldly history book. And surely this is reminiscent of Jesus' own words in Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so do you, sitting here in the congregation today, do you value self-control, and by extension, godliness and all of God's characteristics? Do you value self-control like this? Would you choose to be slow to anger over such fame as Alexander the Great? Would you be one who rules his or her own spirit rather than having your name upheld in every history book to be printed? Remember from the last message I preached on uh, Sunday evening a fortnight ago uh, that self-control is commanded to, to both genders at all ages in Titus 2 and is what is required of the taming of the loose tongue in James 3 verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. This one uh, relatively small little muscle, little thing in your body, has such a power with a lack of self-control uh, to cause great havoc. How much importance do you place on having self-control? What does your, to phrase it differently, what does your valuing of self-control look like? Uh, for we put effort into what we value. Does it bother you if you are slow or quick to anger? Are you able to rule your spirit in moments of metaphorical heat? When the temptation to look at the phone for whatever reason uh, hits you, are you able to put it to the side, to turn it face down? And noting that self-control is a fruit of the spirit, uh, does such a fruit manifest itself in you? And do you care if it does or not? May our valuing of self-control uh, correspond with God's economy. 
It's been something that I've been thinking about quite a bit uh, over the last, say, six months or so. Does what we value line up with what God says is valuable? Is our economy the same as God's? So the second point, uh, self-control is greater than earthly pleasures. And later on, I I added the self-control is greater than excess in earthly pleasures. Um, Turn over a, a page or two to Proverbs 20, verse 1. And at that point, in Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So you might say, why have you included this device in a, uh, a message on self-control? Uh, well, here, uh, rather than necessarily speaking about self-control itself, I think we see one of the fruits of a lack of self-control. A man who lacks self-control may well be given to alcohol. He may be led astray by it and show that he is not wise by his indulgence with it. And more broadly speaking, to flesh that out and make it probably applicable to, to even more folks, uh, more broadly speaking, if you consider that alcohol is a pleasure of the earth uh, in a not necessarily a worldly and bad way, but rather just a, an earthly and physical kind of way, Uh, alcohol is a pleasure of the earth, uh, then we might say that any earthly pleasure pursued to excess or without self-control is not good. As my mum likes to say, uh, too much is too much. I think in the the right understanding of this verse, there is some maturity and discernment that is is needed. Uh, The latter half of the verse notes uh, one who is led astray, by wine, by strong drink, by alcohol, or by earthly pleasures. Uh, And this individual is not wise. And this this latter half of the verse, along with a broader biblical understanding of alcohol, uh, must govern our understanding of the the first part of the verse. And so wine indeed is a mocker. Strong drink indeed is a brawler when they are taken in excess, when they are taken without self-control. And so to drink alcohol and to extend the application to engage in lawful earthly pleasures is not necessarily sinful, but rather to engage in them without self-control and to excess is sinful and may well and probably will cause a variety of difficulties in our lives and be sinful against God. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, he compliments what I'm trying to say. At that point it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so lawful earthly pleasures are given to us by God to enjoy. That which God says is okay or even good, uh, that is given to us by God, uh, is given to us to enjoy. And we ought to do so and give praise to him as we do so. But if we enjoy such things to excess and or take our eyes off the blesser, whom the blessings are supposed to draw our affections toward, then we may well find the pleasures to be a mocker and a brawler and find ourselves proven not to be wise. Remember uh, Ray Comfort, the the famous evangelist from, from New Zealand who lives in LA, because why not? Um, he has this example whereby he talks about uh, a father coming home, and I'm pretty sure the example that he uses is the father comes home with this wonderful uh, television, presents it to his children, 
uh, who are all very excited and you know, give their father hugs and all that sort of business. Uh, and they, they appreciate, I guess, him in the first instance and the gift. Subsequently, he comes home every other night and finds his children uh, readily engaging with the gift, but having completely forgotten the father, the one who gave the gift to his children. Now, we can debate about the, uh, the goodness of giving a TV or otherwise, but I hope you understand the example. Uh, when we engage with, uh, with earthly pleasures that God has given us, we ought to remember just who gave them to us uh, and hence extend our praise and our affection to him rather than simply focusing on the blessing and forgetting about the blesser. Uh, to put it in a couple of summary statements, uh, negatively, if we enjoy earthly pleasures without self-control and without our focus on God, then we have transgressed and we have sinned. We have missed the mark. We have fallen short of God's standard uh, and potentially quite likely disobeyed his law. But positively, if we enjoy earthly pleasures with self-control, within the bounds of what God has said is good and our focus is upon God and the, uh, in our enjoyment of them, we give him thanks for the pleasure we enjoy them aright and in a way that pleases God. God has given us everything richly to enjoy, and so enjoy it uh, seems to be the command of God, but keep your eyes on the one who gave you that enjoyment uh, and exercise, uh, sorry, engage with it with self-control. The last point, self-control is greater than flippancy, and I'll uh, try and bring out what I mean by that a little more. Uh, in Proverbs 20, 25, uh, it says, It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. Uh, turn with me, if you like, to Deuteronomy 23. Uh, and whilst you get there, if you're not there already, uh, the notion of saying it is holy, so it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and only to reflect, and to reflect only after making vows. Uh, that notion of saying it is holy uh, is with regards to calling something sacred and hence promising it to God in offering. Uh, but the basic meaning of the verse being not to commit to things rashly, but only with appropriate thought, and then to be thoroughly committed to your commitment. Or very shortly, only commit to what you are committed to doing. Uh, now in, in Deuteronomy 23, uh, verses 21 to 23, uh, it encapsulates this point very well. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. In other words, if you promise to do something, do it and do it promptly. If you refrain from committing to it, you're not committed to anything. You haven't spoken anything. You haven't said that you're going to do that thing. But if you commit to doing something, if the words I am going to do X, Y, Z a thing come out of your mouth, uh, then do all within your power to do that thing. A, a Christian, such as uh, we who are here today, a Christian as one who does all things in the presence of God, all things coram Deo, uh, who is called not to bear false witness or not to lie, 
and who is commanded not to vow rashly, not to commit to things flippantly, ought to have a very high standard of integrity. Not because we are so amazing in and of ourselves, but because we reflect the character of the God whom we have been saved to serve. We ought to be people who, when we say we will do something, you can take it to the bank, as it were, to use that phrase. You can absolutely rely upon the word of a Christian because our word reflects the character of the God whom we serve. If we stick to our commitments, uh, we, we give glory to our God. If we do not, and if our word means nothing, uh, then this reflects poorly, it blasphemes the name of our God. And I've caught myself with this recently uh, and tried to amend my practice, but even as we put into place what James 4.15 says, where it talks about, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that a thing. Uh, or as we say, Lord willing, as we sort of more often say, uh, this statement to say, if the Lord wills, I'll do whatever the thing is, uh, is far from a loophole to avoiding commitment. In fact, I would say that uh, using the Lord's name uh, ought to uh, bring even a higher commitment to whatever the thing we've committed to is. And so if you are to say, uh, yep, Lord willing, I'll be at the camping trip, uh, you ought to have the absolute intention to make a concerted effort to go to the camping trip, to use that example. And if the Lord should happen uh, to bring sickness, death, a, a great uncrossable chasm between you and the camping trip, uh, well then, evidently the Lord was not willing that you would go to the camping trip, but you have uh, discharged your intent in saying, Lord willing, I'll go to the camping trip. You haven't tried to find a loophole to really not commit to it in general. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, to give some further meat to the example, I can tell you that the notion of committing to what you say is readily on my brain having, having small children, uh, especially our two eldest who can now talk. Uh, they will constantly ask me, constantly ask my wife Tracy, uh, you know, can I do this thing, can I do that thing, can I do that thing? And I know that if I say yes, I need to stick to that. Uh, I need to represent the Lord uh, whom I profess to serve well, especially to my children and certainly to the wider world as well. And so to give just a couple of examples as we get closer to a close. Uh, when giving an answer to children, you must be self-controlled, not flippant in your answer. When giving your RSVP to an event, you must be self-controlled, not flippant in your answer. When making a, a vow to God, you must be self-controlled, not flippant in your vow. Uh, in short, be self-controlled. Think through the words that you would say. Think through the things that you would commit to. And once you have made that commitment, do it. Just do it as the Nike approach says. And so the three points of the evening were uh, self-control is greater than worldly power and prestige, hence the value that we ought to have on self-control. Secondly, self-control is greater than excess in earthly pleasures. And lastly, self-control is greater than flippancy or um, put slightly differently, be self-controlled in your commitments. I wanted to continue with the self-control is greater than motif, so hence self-control is greater than flippancy. But ask ourselves just to, with one final thought, why do we strive to value 
and exercise self-control. It sounds like a fairly uh, dry topic in the world of 2024 or whatever we are today. Why do we strive to value and exercise self-control in these and a large variety of other ways? Well, firstly, because we love God and desire to represent Him well. One of the fruits of the Spirit is indeed self-control, one of the characteristics of God, one of the things that comes from uh, being within uh, the body of Christ, being in Christ's body, is that we ought to exhibit self-control. When we do so, we represent God well. We do not want to blaspheme him in the way that we live, bringing disrepute on his holy name. And so we desire this wonderful characteristic. And as people of God, people of the truth, we want to uh, positively represent the truth well. We love the truth and we want to represent him well. We want to give great fame to his name rather than bringing his name down. 